Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The New Standard. And as always, we have my partner on crime to my left, Neil Kulong. What's up, Neil, on this frosty Friday morning? Oh, it's great. Great to be here. Great to be a Friday. Kind of a, a tough, long night, but um, definitely a good one to dive into. And this is the right place to do it, right? Absolutely. And before we jump into the program, I want to send my condolences to the family of Demarius Thomas, wide receiver who passed away yesterday at the age of 33, most famously known in Steeler Nation for the guy who caught the Tebow touchdown in Denver. Tragic loss for a young man who died so suddenly. Um, Hopefully, you know, you know, it's just a tragedy. Uh, Hopefully there was nothing nefarious. Uh, surrounding his death but again condolences to Demarius Thomas the Denver Broncos and all the other franchises he played for Uh, before we jump into the program you can find the program first on YouTube do a search for Lance Williams or Neil Kulong and the new standard you'll find the show please like and subscribe give us a Christmas treat and and subscribe to the show and like the program also, last but not least, want to give a big shout out to our sponsor, Mims Seed Company. But let's jump right into the first segment. And the first segment is numbers do not lie. And we're going to look on the offensive side of the football. Is there a particular number before I give you my Neil, that jumps out to you on the offensive side of the football, meaning the Steelers offense against the Vikings defense? Um, that I think it's a little bit tighter. I would say, um, to me, probably above anything else, five, the amount of sacks they gave up, which happened in one half and one series last night. They've not given up five sacks since 2014. That's how long ago that was. And the 2014 offensive line was vastly superior uh, to the one that they have right now. This goes to show it is not just about the talent that's on your offensive line. You can't just draft your way into great protection. You need to have, uh, schematically, you need to have things working on a a game-to-game level, and I think that's what the Steelers are struggling with right now. And it it, it obviously did not work very well last night. And it's it's kind of a microcosm of everything that's been happening to them this year. I I think it really kind of boiled over last night, a a very poor game in terms of protection from a schematic perspective, uh, more so than a talent one. I think when you look at Thursday games, I think why they're especially tough is you have a limited amount of time to get physically prepared and you have a limited amount of time to scheme up anything or to prepare your football team to play on Thursdays. Now, especially as a visiting team and you're traveling. Now, the coaching staff will never use that as an excuse and they shouldn't. But I think what you're talking about really shows up in a short preparation period. Uh, the inconsistency, the inexperience, that really shows up. And you could clearly see that on the offensive side of football, hell, both sides of the football, in the first half, they clearly were not ready. Uh, They were clearly not ready to play. Um, Let me ask you about that really quickly before we jump into another number that you may not have and before I jump into mine. Um, How much do you put on um, it being a very short week, them having a travel day, and them not really getting started until that second half. Do you think it was more of that, or do you think they actually maybe found something on the offensive side of football in the second half that they could key on and attack 
uh, you know, in terms of this Minnesota Vikings defense. Not to not to to paraphrase Mike Tomlin. I in fact I haven't even heard his comments. I'm not sure if he said this, but I would describe the first half mostly as Steelers beating Steelers. I mean, it, it, they made a ton of mistakes all over uh, the offensive unit. I think uh, really the second half, minus you know some stuff here and there. Um, it, most of it was combination of the Steelers finally getting into what uh, they wanted to do and what they can do well against not a great defensive team. Um, they they regressed to the mean. I think they got back to who they were uh, offensively. They were able to make some plays. I think the Vikings helped them out uh, a bit as well. It, you know, Minnesota had a hand in in kind of helping Pittsburgh um, go back into it. That um, I'm looking for his name and I can't find it. But I I, I wish. The Steelers went against Chris Boyd more often. He was terrible, um, almost as bad as as uh, Cam Sutton was for the Steelers last night. Uh, both teams, I think, are in, are in similar places, and I'm not surprised what we really saw was a tale of two halves. And I think Pittsburgh got to their half mostly by just not making uh, drive-killing mistakes the way that they did. They finally gave some protection. The quarterback got rid of the ball. Uh, on time and, and they their, their receivers battled to get open a little bit better. I thought the receiving group in particular was terrible in the first half. Um, I'd imagine they heard about that at halftime leading into the second half. You saw a lot more fire out of them. And with that, they, they got back to probably where they should have been. Now it came down to it. it it's one drive, one play too late, but um, they, they adjusted well to themselves. They weren't screwing up nearly as much uh, in, in the second half overall, I think, than, than they did in the first. And Ben threw a pick on, on a, an early drive um, in the second half. They had to overcome that even. And they still did to, to make it you know pretty competitive at the end. So um, it, overall, I, I don't know schematically. Um, I, I was able to watch uh, some of it back this morning. I didn't have a whole lot of time. I got up a little bit later than I wanted to. But you saw them really, I think, just shore up fundamental things uh, in the second half. I don't think they they there were any wholesale changes uh, that they implemented. I think really just they they threw the ball well. Uh, they were much more efficient, and they capitalized on uh, a few mistakes from the Vikings defense down the way. I'm gonna give you a number, and I got a couple of general questions or talking points that I think we should hit before we jump into the defensive side of football. I'm gonna give you a positive number. And I think it's the 94 yards, the 4.7 yards per carry from Najee Harris. I think, um, and, and, and I want to give some kudos to Najee Harris. His running style is very violent. Um, he takes a lot of hits. He is not the type of back that tries to avoid contact. I, I've been really impressed with the fact that his body is still pretty electric and is still pretty fresh. Overall, I think he had a pretty a pretty good game, one of his better games. And that 4.7 yards per carry with a long run of 23 is something that you don't see from Najee Harris. I think as he moves forward as a player, I would love if he could pop a few of those, you know, maybe 15 to 17. You know, he's never going to be a guy that's going to take it to the house. You know, he's going to be a guy to hit you for two, two, six, seven two, three, three, eight. He's going to be that type of guy, and yep. it's going to be a war of attrition, and he's going to get his 100 yards there in that way. But I thought it was a, impressive by uh, the offensive line, at least in the second half, in regards to how they ran the ball. And if you can get this Najee on a consistent basis, I think this is the Najee Harris uh, that the Steelers are looking for. Now let's flip-flop it. Let me go and give you um, 
another offensive number uh, th that I thought st stood out in terms of Najee Harris. He also had three receptions on three targets uh, for one touchdown. Do you have any other offensive numbers um, in terms of the numbers don't lie segment that you want to look at in regards to this game? I was going to point out Najee as well, and I'll, I'll add to what you just said. He had 17 yards at the half. He finished with 94, and that was a, a highly um, – on one hand, you can say the Steelers were looking to throw the ball. The Vikings were playing back. Yes, that's true. But uh, really the point is, and I've been saying this about Najee, he's not a breakaway player. He's not going to be a big-time, uh, big play production back. And to some degree, I think that limits him. And that was my main concern with him. Uh, coming out it's not that he's not a, a solid three down player which is who, what I think the Steelers really wanted to draft they didn't want a high upside guy that they had to work on they, they wanted a guy that can get in there and play and do the basic things right away which which is really Harris's wheelhouse what I'm saying essentially is that Harris's ceiling is not all that high what we're seeing of him now is kind of the, the best we're going to see of him and it, it has value in situations like last night he was able to fight through what they were giving him in the second half and get instead of three, he can pull seven instead of, uh, um, you know, a zero run, he can get two or three out of it. He's going to do that. He's not going to pull away from anybody though. And uh, I, I think we see that in a game like this, his numbers ended up being, um, you know, it, we're, we're generally happy with it. Well, he had a receiving touchdown and a rushing touchdown, right? We're, we're happy with that. Those types of plays that he can make when he's being set up underneath. Generally speaking, though, his numbers were not consistent uh, throughout the entire game. The first half, he was basically non-existent, and he was making plays along with everybody else in the second half. So it, it's it, to me, I think it, it shows the polarizing level of of Harris's production and what we can expect from him. I would say this, though, to add to it, and this is why I would bring him up. You look at Dalvin Cook after a week off. Dalvin Cook, keep in mind, I hate to bring this up because I'm sick and tired of dealing with this question, but Dalvin Cook was a second-round pick. He's a, a game-breaking player. Now, the, the Steelers, honestly, looked like they were throwing the game early as far as how bad their run fits were. But Cook exploited that. He can pull away from guys. He can make plays in all phases of the game as well. He is a complete all-around back. He's one of the best in the NFL. If Harris wants to get to that level, he's going to have to cut some weight. He's going to have to get quicker. He's going to have to get faster. And maybe he can do that. But all I'm saying is, he didn't do it at Alabama. I don't see how he's going to do that at, in the NFL. So it, we, we saw decent things from Harris, but we also saw him playing at his ceiling for where he is right now. I would agree with that. And, you know, not even to use Delvin Cook as a comp, but I think that's a good comp in terms of a complete back. I'll just use someone in his in his class, his draft class is Javante Williams. I mean, Javante Williams is more of an the explosive player. <laughs> you know, he's more of an explosive player. And if you watch Javante Williams' performance against the Kansas City Chiefs, I don't think Najee Harris is that type of runner and can have that type of uh, uh, performance. Uh, Double H is hilarious. And Double H wrote, the melanin deficient curtain failed to defend blades of grass last night. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a team effort, guys. <laughs> yes, that was. was any good last night in the that, first half. Nobody was was good. Let's Melanin jump into otherwise. No, they were all bad. Let's jump into another couple of questions. The first one before we jump into the bigger one, and I want to get to this one because I want to lay out a little bit and let you rant 
we're going to get on an early morning Neil rant. Mm. Neil's going to go off. So we're I'm going to set that up. But the first thing I want to ask, I looked at the highlights a couple of times. First of all, I thought the throw to Fryermuth from Ben on the last play was his <laughs> best throw of the year. We're going to miss um, that. And, and I thought that was that. And, and I thought that was Boy. one of the best throws that a quarterback has made this year. That's a tight you, you window throw. You can't make that throw. You just can't. It, it's absolutely impossible. I can't yes. believe that it landed where it landed. He put yes. it. it, it uh, uh, sorry, Lance. I'm cutting you off here. I'm just so excited about it. A, a football coach friend of mine texted me uh, after the game. Ben put that ball on a mosquito's dick, and I honestly think that's the best way to describe it. There was no room in there. He split. Three guys on uh, – he didn't have another option. That was the throw. That's either getting picked off or getting knocked down incomplete. Probably five out of 100 that's completed. An incredible throw. I mean, it, it's it, it it's everything that you hope to see at the end of Ben Roethlisberger's career, a player who put everything on the field last night and was getting absolutely no help from anybody. Great second half when guys started, you know, playing along with him, following his lead. It doesn't get better than that throw, and it's a shame that, unfortunately, a, a, a Hall of Fame-level safety is there to make a, a, an incredible play on his right. Give Harrison Smith credit for that, but an incredible throw. Absolutely That incredible. was my question, because I'm hearing on the chat, you got some guys on the chat that's saying that Fryermuth dropped it or not. So that's Double not H wrote on the chat that Fryermuth not holding onto that catch is karma payback for Matt Mark Andrews not holding on to his but our tight end's uh, catch was going yeah. to be much harder. I don't think Come he on. missed it. I, I thought Come it got on. dislodged. That was going to be my question. I thought it, it when did. I looked at it. Clearly it did. Farnworth had the ball in his hand. I, I, this is one problem that we have with, with StreamYard here, Lance. We need to be able to put images up. I, I snapped a pic of this for social media just for the sake of um, showing it. But the ball is in Farnworth's hand. He did everything right. Harrison Smith is right there about to hammer the ball out. I mean, it, he didn't get time to, to catch it. The defender made a great play. That's all that that's all it was. Um, the window in which he had to throw that was so ridiculously narrow. It was the only thing that Smith was going to be able to do. And, and he did it. He made the play. Uh, he won. He's a competitor. Um, are you able to put stuff in the comments, Lance? Because I can't for some reason. Um, I'm putting I my tweet. I'm putting my tweet into our private chat. Put that into the comments. I will. You look at that picture. Smith is right on the play. He's right on the ball, and he knocks it loose. That's not a drop. Um, if Frymouth didn't have if, – if and you can't ask for this, but if Frymouth had an extra quarter second to secure it, Steelers are going for two to win that game. It's that simple. So um, it would that's absolutely not on the level of Andrews. It's not a karmic thing at all. The fact that they're tight ends is the only real comparison between those two plays. Yeah, I thought I'm glad you cleared that up because I was like when I when I saw Double H's comments, I was like, I'm pretty certain when they showed it about 10 times that it got dislodged 10 times. He knocked I was, it out. He clearly yeah, knocked it out. Yeah, I was trying to think like maybe on the ninth out of the 10th time that they showed it, it didn't get dislodged. But 10 out of 10 is pretty much 100 percent. Uh, and I'm 100 percent certain and sure that it got dislodged. Uh, we'll try to do the um, I, I'll, I'll put the uh, link on. Uh, on YouTube in the comments if you're listening to to see the link because it I guess the link is pretty long and it showed up on a couple of comments so it's not going to work. Here's my other question. What, what what let me just lay out here and let you get to it. And I'm going to just ask this. 
What's wrong with Chase Claypool? That's <laughs> laying it out for sure. Not, like, what's um, wrong with Chase? Like, does he not know time and situation? He, he like, clearly didn't. He clearly didn't. I don't care what his excuse is. He clearly didn't. And that's I, I was yelling about Claypool earlier on in the game. This is the problem with him, and this has been the problem with him all season long. He, it, it, my opinion, I'm not there. I'm not speaking to him. I don't, I'm not hearing this from anybody else. I'm just really kind of connecting the dots here. So take it for what it is. I don't see how his actions can be the result of a professional who shows up to work, does his job, improves his game, and plays for his teammates. I don't see that. You can't tell me he's doing the things that he's doing if his focus is on the game and not himself. There is absolutely no reason to kneel and preen and point out a first down in that situation. And on top of that, Lance, here's my thing. Trey Turner came over and grabbed the ball from him like Claypool was an eight-year-old. Okay? You don't just do that. You have to earn that if you're Chase Claypool. That's the level of respect that Claypool right. gets from his teammates. You, you find me a moment in which that's happened. Let you me won't. say it this way. Let me say it this way and get back to it, Neil. Is they've seen it too much. Yes, exactly. It's they know that he's going to do this. They're watching for it. It happened in a terrible moment for it to happen. There is no reason for Claypool doing that. You don't need me to tell you that. Everybody knows that. But the fact that they had that, that Turner is situation aware enough to go over and say, you need to knock it off. I don't trust that you can do this on your own. I have to do this for you. That's that is the ultimate alpha move. If, if, if you're looking, if you have no respect for somebody as a man, that's the kind of thing you're going to do. And I say that because that's the kind of thing you do to your kid. You know, <laughs> it, that that's that's an insult to Claypool, and he earned it. So what does Claypool do? He fights back. That causes the ball to pop loose. They don't set the ball in place, and they wasted four seconds. It, it's an embarrassment. I'm. He made a great play down the sideline, which is really weird because times he focuses, he makes plays on balls in the air. There are other times that he clearly doesn't. He's not in good position. He's not balanced, and he doesn't make the play. The level of inconsistency that he has is something that I expect of a rookie, which goes back to what I've been saying about Claypool. He has not improved from last year. I, I can't have that on my team. You're a second-year guy with no playmakers on your offensive team. You need to step up and, and be a dude on this offense, and Claypool can't do it. I don't care what his stats were at the end of the game. Claypool was damaging to this team top to bottom. You remember earlier in the game, he fumbles after a, a, yes. a play. Yes. And which, frankly, I'm not going to get into to, to rules of instant replay. That's garbage. The guy called it on the field. Call it, The call should stand. It's just I'm not going to get into it. The next play, for whatever reason, Matt Canada decides Chase Claypool is the guy who's going to block the force on the play. Right. He was, sorry, he wasn't even the force. He's the backside defender. You have to cut that guy off. You know how easy it is for a six foot five, 240 pound wide receiver to get in the way of an NFL defensive back? That was an Eric Ebron level block and Claypool blew it, completely blew it. So not only did they not convert third and one on a play that should have converted on third and one, they lost three yards. And that's solely because of Claypool. That was on the next play after he fumbled. Sit his ass on the bench. I, I'm done with the guy. I'm absolutely done with him. I, I, I can't yeah, it's, have it's... guys like that on my team. That's just me. I honestly think they're going to try to trade him this offseason and they'll, they'll get be... something for him. 
you know, I don't think they're going to try to trade him. I, I think they're mad at him. I think they're. I think they have reached their limit. But I think his pedigree of being a second round pick will get him through his rookie contract. But there, it's tough love time. It's it's tough love time, and he's going to get it. And with with Trey Turner snatched the ball, this is what I thought in my head: Give me the damn ball, dummy. Yeah. That's, that, that, exactly. Like, that's exactly. That's exactly what, what Trey Turner. That's a Give pro the, player. That's a freaking embarrassment. What are you doing? Can, Give me the damn ball. Can can we get into this really quickly? I'm sorry. The 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 bare suggestion that Chase Claypool is doing anything like Antonio Brown is ridiculous. Don't. It, there is absolutely nothing that you could say that suggests that Antonio Brown would have done something like that in that situation. Don't even tell me that. Okay. No. Antonio Brown got 160 about... targets a year. For seven years and was an all-pro player. He no, would have no, made every play saying, that Claypool did. No, I'm thinking what he's saying is, is Claypool, and, and let me describe it this way, and thank you, Smacked Out 98, for the comment, is Claypool plays like he's cute. Like somebody told him he was cute, right? He, he's, he, he cares about his brand. I think he cares a lot about how it looks and how he looks as opposed to consistently – playing quality football like a professional it, it's all about him it's all about the spotlight being on chase claypool because that's the only way and the only reason unless you're just so situationally unaware that you celebrate in that moment that it's totally about him and me antonio's antonio brown's production is his brand okay yes i don't yes. care if he points out a first down it, you guys have problems with that fine get used to it that's the nfl okay you can't tell me that just because they they make the same celebration moment that they're all, they're only about making it about themselves. The difference is Claypool doesn't produce anything. Antonio Brown earned the right to celebrate, and he did it every snap of every game. The guy busted his ass for this team. I can't believe the level of, of negative attention that he gets overall. Like he he's he's just written out of history because of some stupid things that he did at the end, which frankly were not on the field issues. When he was on the field, he was all about business, and he made plays. Chase Claypool can't carry Antonio Brown's jock, and that is the most unnecessary thing I'm going to say today. Not even close. Don't even try to compare the two. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So let's do this. Uh, let's switch to the defensive side of football. And before I do that, and let's jump into some numbers, don't lie, on that side of the ball. And let me jump into this comment. From Steelers Freak. And I just died laughing when I saw this. When Steelers Freak said, the steel curtain has now become aluminum drapes. Let me give you a number that clearly stands out. Delvin Cook, 27 attempts, 205 yards, 7.6 yards per carry, and two touchdowns. That stat line. At the half. That's, that stat line is the number. And and thanks to my brother who who sent me the graphic this morning, that number is the third most all time against the Pittsburgh Steelers behind Fred Taylor and OJ Simpson. Neil Taylor, it's and I watched that game. I, I quick quick note, quick history. I, I watched that game when Fred Taylor killed the Steelers in a Raider bar by myself as the only Steeler fan with the Steeler jersey on. Which, which one? Fred Taylor had like uh, four of those games. And, <laughs> and the only reason I didn't get harassed in that bar 
is because they thought I was crazy. Big up to the Golden Bear. Anybody from the Bear area listening to the show remembers the Golden Bear because I was representing. They were like, he must be crazy. He's the only Steeler fan in a bar of 250 to 300 Raider fans ringing the bell, yelling Raiders after every single run. And I was still in there just with my – I was just watching proudly like a Steeler Fred fan. Taylor so didn't what? play for the Raiders. Oh, I'm, I'm, he killed us with the Jaguars. That's right. That's right. Well, well, that story was all for Same nothing. Difference. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of instances that you watched <laughs> a Steelers game at a Raiders bar and they were all over you because, yes. well, you haven't beat the Raiders <laughs> in 20 years. Yes. Yeah. I don't know why I thought Fred Taylor was – I don't know. Anyway, um, he killed the Steelers. He never played for the Raiders. Did he play for the Raiders? I like so. Oh, I'm thinking of Charlie Garner. Garner, yeah, Garner. I'm games. thinking of Charlie Garner. He did. He played. For I'm the thinking Niners of Charlie Garner. Yeah, he killed. He killed the Steelers. Well, hopefully, uh, people will miss the Steeler the the show at 24 minutes and skip over the fact that Fred Taylor was a Jaguar. We can edit, can't we? You know, I don't know. Doesn't matter. Everybody <laughs> Here, makes mistakes on the show. To to go back though to what we were talking about, they they flashed this stat up during the game last night, and I, I it was something to the effect of. Mike Tomlin, his coaching career for 232 games, had not allowed a 100-yard rusher uh, in a half. individual in a half, and he's done it twice in the last two, last three weeks. Right now, that's how bad uh, the Steelers' run defense has been. You're not supposed to be able to run the ball and dominate a game. That's what all the advanced analytics people tell me. You, you're running doesn't matter. You shouldn't be able to do this. The Steelers seem to be of that belief as well. They don't really seem to care about the run at all. They're, they're inside linebackers, in my opinion. It, honestly, they need backup plans for both of them for next year. Neither of them are, are showing that they can play at the NFL level right now. They don't have anything coming from the defensive line, and there are injuries there. I understand that part. But we warn people about this, Lance. The, 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 the reps, the load, the effort that Cam Hayward was putting forward because nobody else was is wearing him down. He did not look good last night. And we're going to blame some of this on the fact that it's a Thursday night game coming off a very physical, very physical, very emotional game against their rival. I understand that part of it. They have nobody else playing. Nobody else is playing on that defense. And it literally looked like that in the first half. Some of those, even Troy Aikman was, was beside himself with how big the lanes were that, that it, with all due respect to Dalvin Cook, he's a great back, but it didn't take a Hall of Fame running back to, to run through lines like that. It, it, they, he, their run defense, their fits were high school level. As Mike Tomlin said at halftime, junior varsity. It was that bad. It was absolutely embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, it's hit an all-time low. Um, and I don't think there is a solution on the horizon. And someone in the chat asked about uh, T.J. Watt's injury. Have you heard any updates on his injury? Just, I wouldn't uh, think. Just overexertion. Once again, he, he plays uh, with no practice uh, the past week, and then he has three days to prepare for this one. It has to go all out. I'm not surprised. I, I talked to a friend of mine saying he's probably going to re-injure himself. Um, keep in mind, he was banged up uh, before uh, uh, he came down with COVID. He had the, the knee and the, the um, knee and hip injury that he was working through uh, before Ravens week. He came down with COVID. Uh, at, at, like right after the Bengals game, and right. he didn't practice. He said he ran around in his backyard, but that's not the same thing. 
So he had to go all out against the Ravens and his body didn't recuperate. So to be honest with you, I'm not surprised. He, he's he's beaten up. This is the problem with Thursday night games. It's not even yeah. the product on the field Thursday. It's what happens after. Watt, I don't know. They, he has 10 days and he knows he needs to get out there. He wants to break the team's single season sack record, I'm sure. He's on track, well, he was anyway until last night. Uh, to be defensive player of the year, I'm, I'm sure that he wants to to achieve let that, me, and I think as a team, it's a good thing for him to shoot for. But let, let, let me he's say been hurt this. all season. Let me say this about the defensive player of the year award: he's not going to win it. I wish I had a bell that said "ding, ding, 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 ding." I for him to win defensive player of the year on a team that is looking like it's going to finish sub 500 and out of the playoffs, he'll have to get 30 sacks. <laughs> he's not getting defensive player of the year on a team that does not make the playoffs on a team. That's not a good defense. He's, he's, he's not, not going to win MVP because of that. He absolutely leading into last night. He is the league's defensive player of the year. I don't think there, there's no dispute in my mind. He only played 10 games. He has 16 sacks. He's destroying everybody on a per game basis. And he has the hype of, of, you know, being a runner up two years in a row. TJ Watt is the only guy who got votes for defensive player of the year each of the last two years. He was second to Donald last year. He was caught in a mix of a bunch of people behind Devin McCourty in, in 2019. But what he had done up until last night was absolutely worthy of that award. In fact, I, I'd say he was the front runner. He certainly has, you know, he still has a chance to win it. I don't think it's over by any stretch. Let's, let's I, see what he I, does. I, I think it's a wrap. I'm going to see, I, and I challenge anybody out there in the chat to figure it out. We don't have a research department, obviously, but um, I want to see how many players have won defensive player of the year on losing teams. Um, because I think just a lot of times when it comes to voting, if you're winning matters, and sometimes you get overvalued on winning teams, I mean, you might not be def defensive player of the year. Has he played an excellent season? Absolutely. Uh, at this point, I wouldn't give defensive player, offensive player, I wouldn't give any awards to anybody on losing teams. Because for me, if you're not winning, whatever it is, I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's just stats. I mean, I, I like in a you, game. You make a good point. And I, I'll back off a little bit of what I said, because it, it, it should be player, but we all both, we know that that's not the case. Um, as, as great as Troy Polamalu was in 2010, if the Steelers weren't who they were, he probably doesn't win that award. Um, in my opinion, um, from what I recall of it, I'm not prepared to have the argument, but Charles Woodson probably had a better season than Polamalu did uh, in 2010. Um, I believe that was one of Darrell Rivas's big years. I think maybe he deserved it, uh, but they gave it to Polamalu. There's a certain level of, of career worthiness as well as team function that comes into it. I can't tell you uh, right now if every player who's on here was on a dominant team when they won it. But I will say for the Steelers, one, can anybody name all of them without looking up, looking it up? I can. I don't believe any of them, any of the Steelers defensive player of the year were on uh, not winning teams. I'll give you another reason why I don't think he'll win defensive player of the year. The defense is bad overall. And they, he's you know. the player, though. It's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not I mean, a, I get, a I get team what you but it's hard to give defensive player of the year, in my opinion, to a Plus, defense that gives up about 26 points a game. Some I mean, of the worst games, Watt didn't play. I mean, there's, 
<laughs> think of anything that might lend weight to his argument. I mean, he, he was, he was hurt, it, I think, in the third quarter of the Bengals game. That was over. All right. So scratch that one. But um, they got, they, he, didn't he play got hurt Packers, in this game. Right? I mean, well, I guess he's, I guess he's, he's figured it out like what games not to play. Like, yeah, or, he or sees like, it early on and just goes out. Let me tap a house so I can get the defensive player of the year. Anyway, TJ's a hell of a player, whether he gets defensive player of the year or not. But uh, I think that's not. I think that's besides the point. The Steelers are six, six and one. I think their their uh, playoff hopes are, um, you know, I think they're pretty much dashed. Um, and I think the Steelers are exactly what their record says they are. I think we've given good explanation as to why they've started off slow. But this is what inconsistent teams look like, and I, I think it's yep. time. You know, I think it's time. You know, they're going to continue to play Ben Roethlisberger throughout the rest of the season because this is Ben Roethlisberger's victory lap, so to speak. Um, but I think it's a time right now, if you're the coaching staff, this is a time of evaluation for the rest of the roster, for a lot of the young guys. Like, maybe Glue plays and starts for the rest of the season. You know, it's a time to see where everyone is as a football team. But I want to get into this one thing really quickly, and I was thinking about it. Um, about this football team and about this run for the playoffs. Cause I think if any Steeler fan out there thinks the Steelers are a legitimate playoff team, uh, I think they're delusional, but I was thinking of something called Ben Maddox and Ben Maddox is a spinoff on mathematics. And just looking at Ben Roethlisberger's career, as he takes this victory lap, when you look at Ben Maddox, it's a, it's a mathematical principle that, combines Ben Roethlisberger added to other elements of the football team. And I think when you look at Ben Roethlisberger right now and you look at this football team, you have an old Ben plus an inconsistent offensive line plus a bad defense equals no chance of the playoffs. I think when the Steelers won in the past, you had Big Ben or Big Ben was good enough as young Ben plus a inconsistent offensive line plus a great D championship contender but old Ben the only old only way the Steelers could have competed this year with an old Ben was to have an old Ben plus a great offensive line plus a great defense and I think when you look at Ben Roethlisberger right now and, and why I think he knows that it's over and why it should be over is just he physically is not good enough right now to overcome the other def deficiencies in this roster. I think that's just where this team is now. There's too many leaks, too many holes, too many deficiencies. And outside of not playing him the rest of the season, and he's going to play the rest of the season, and he should. He's their best option at quarterback. They're just not in a position. They just don't have the other pieces Um to compete week in and week out. And that's why you see the inconsistency. Do you think moving forward, because I'm trying to do the math in my head real quick, they've played 13 games. They've got four more games. Is this evaluation time for the rest of the roster and for the rest of the young guys to try to get a beat on what you have for next year and try to get some of these guys some reps and get some snaps on film and live competition to see how you need to build this roster moving forward? Um, one, well, my, my answer to all this is going to be no, but the, the idea that this team is is eliminated from the postseason right now is is flat out false. I mean, it, it, this is simply not true. 
I know that it doesn't look good. I know it was a really tough loss for sure. And I know that, that people are still stung over uh, the manner in which they've lost the, the last three games that they've lost. But the reality is they're not out yet. And until they're out, they're not going to change anything. And even then, you're still playing for Ben Roethlisberger's legacy. They're not going to just put guys out there. Suggesting otherwise is basically acting as if this is a slow-pitch softball team that meets once a week to play, and that's the only thing you have to evaluate. They're meeting with them on a daily basis. They practice. They watch film. They know who's able to play and who isn't. They have a plan that goes out three years of what they want to do. There are guys that, yeah, I'm sure are going to get reps here eventually. Um, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I've said that many times. In fact, I'm still right on track for a 7-10, and 10, well, almost right on track for a 7-10 and 10 season. They're not at the point where they have to give up. If you are still mathematically alive for a playoff berth and you have six wins, and that, that that's probably going to put them nine or ten in the AFC when there's seven spots left in the AFC that's been completely up and down all season. No, you're not quitting yet. You have to beat Tennessee next week. Uh, but it, until that happens, they're not going to go into let's play all the young guys as if they haven't been doing that all year. <laughs> they're they're the youngest offense in the NFL. Their core guys, the guys that they want as part of their future by and large, are playing already. The guys who aren't, aren't capable to play. I, you know, for whatever reason, Dan Moore is still out there. I think that's for the most part because Dan Moore proved that he's somebody they want to invest long-term in. But outside of that, there aren't guys that they just threw into the fire over somebody who's better. I think that this has been their plan the entire time and they're going to see it through. But that also accomplishes exactly what you're saying, Lance. It's more reps for the guys that are young that need to develop. It's just that that's their current team. That's why they're not very good. They're yeah. really young. <laughs> as you say it, as I said my point and you say your point, it's funny how we've taken a left and right turn and end up at the same point. Yeah, it's, just, it, it's a matter of how we're describing it. Yes, they're doing it anyway. I mean, they're 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 doing it anyway. Because uh, if, the if roster Kend- is if, so like, young. For, for the comment here, if Kendrick Green isn't the answer at center, I guarantee bleeping to you that B.J. Finney isn't either. So what do you do? You keep playing Kendrick Green. <laughs> you try to get him to improve. That's what coaches do. That's their job, okay? Let's see what happens over four games. He's a rookie taken in the third round who primarily played guard last season. If any of you thought he was going to step in and be dominant, I don't know what to tell you. Why they drafted him, why they passed on, on the immortal Creed Humphrey, we'll, we'll never know. We know that Creed Humphrey went late second round. We know the Steelers got the good tight end that they needed. They didn't draft Creed Humphrey. Okay. Creed's they drafted PFF. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We all hate PFF, <laughs> but we all worship Creed Humphrey because he's big on PFF. You know, it, it's the most hypocritical art. I'm not even going to get into it. Creed Humphrey is a good center. I don't, I honestly, I don't know why, but the Steelers never really gave him attention anyway. It was obvious they weren't going to draft Humphrey. I don't know why. I don't know if the fabric of the Steelers' season came down to them not drafting Creed Humphrey or not. Last night, though, because Creed Humphrey is not a defensive lineman, I would say it really didn't have a whole lot to do with it. They moved the ball eventually offensively. I'm not saying that he's a great player. I'm not even saying he's their center next year. I'm saying that they don't have another option right now, and that's why Green started basically from day one. We'll find out what they do. You know, they've, they've got money in free agency. They've got, they're going to have better draft picks than they had last season. They can find another center. I don't know what they're going to do with it, but there's no point in taking him out now. It, would, it doesn't accomplish anything. 
Yeah, I'm looking at the remaining of, of the Steelers season. I think it's going to be really tough. If Derrick Henry does come back, I'm hearing some reports that he it's, may come it, back. It was always going to be tough. We knew this. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm looking at the end of it. I'm trying to see if there's a win I think they can scratch out. If there's one win that they can scratch out, I think it's Cleveland. Um, you know, I think. And we'll um, see. I, they had a week off. You know, they, yeah. they got a chance to rest up a bit. They were they were beat up to hell last time they played them, and the Steelers beat them 15 to 10. Who knows? I mean, it's a toss-up. That game yeah. being in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh will be favored, but everyone was thought it was hilarious that the Vikings were favored by three and a half last night. Okay, it, it's this is the NFL. Not every team is as bad as you think that they are. Vikings are a decent team. They are a 500-level NFL team. So were the Steelers. They just played a close game and call it home field advantage, but the, the Vikings were able to pull that out. The Vikings aren't going to be favored in any game the rest of the way except for Cleveland. They'll be favored at home against Cleveland. Whether that's three points or less, I don't know, but they're going to be favored against Cleveland, barring you know catastrophic injury on, on either side. Before we get out of here, there was one other number I wanted to point out, um, and you don't see it too often, that Kirk Cousins only had 14 completions, but they scored – 36 points and 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 and, that, and that's pretty hard to do uh, ball helps. <laughs> you know that's pretty hard to do there were some other uh things that jumped out uh the vikings averaged uh nearly seven yards per play uh which was absolutely ridiculous at well and i know that there was one point um uh, i think in the game <laughs> in the like first 10. half they were oh. averaging close to eight yards of play yeah. and the steelers were averaging like three yards of play um you know, it, it was a very it was a very disappointing game. Again, in football, you've got to play four quarters. And I think, you know, when you look at this 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 football team, you know, the inconsistency of both fronts, defensive line and offensive line, I think is is the biggest thing in terms of this variance of performance, this high level of variance and this volatility in this particular team because both fronts aren't very good. We're going to leave it with this, Neil. If you're Kevin Colbert, Neil Colbert, or let me call you, uh, yeah, Colbert, Coulong Colbert. I like that one. If go. you're if you're Coulong Colbert, GM of the <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, what position group are you targeting number one in the first round? Or, or I, give me your top three, top three position groups. Here's the thing. You can't draft positions. You have to draft players. I understand how tempting it is to, to haul off and address every single uh, every single position they have, but this is part of sexy tanking, Lance. They addressed certain position groups last year out of necessity. That's why they have four. Their their first four picks are starting. All right, they're not in that position next year. They have a little bit more flexibility where they can get back to taking talent that matches where they're drafting them. And that isn't to suggest, you know, that they did wrong or anything like that. I think that the, the guys they drafted were worth the rounds in which they drafted, not to bring up Creed Humphrey again. The reason they didn't draft Creed Humphrey is because they drafted Pat Fryermuth. Now, I, I've bagged on Fryermuth. I, I wasn't all that excited about the pick when they made it. He's proved himself to be a very solid second-round pick. I get that Creed Humphrey is a good player, Okay. We can do the hindsight is 2020 thing. The problem is with the argument that everybody makes about Creed Humphrey is they didn't have another pick. Okay. What were they supposed to do? You want them to trade up when they have a, a fifth round pick that they did trade to get uh, ahead of, of whoever it was, what in the fifth round 
to get who plays a lot when he's healthy. They have a seventh round pick who plays a bunch. Their punter was taken in the sixth round. They had so many rookies who had to play this year. They weren't going to be able to get more picks, certainly not in, in round two where they could have drafted Humphrey. You have Frymouth instead. You can't compare Humphrey to Green. You have to p- compare him to Frymouth. That's who they they passed on Humphrey for. And I, I don't have any problem with that. Too many holes for the amount of picks that you have. Too many holes for the amount of money that they had to spend in free agency. That's why they made the decisions that they make. Please stop telling me he's the best player in the league, okay? Please stop telling me that. He's a young player. He's developing like everybody else is. He plays in a completely different offense than the Steelers do. There is an enormous talent level difference between the Chiefs and the Steelers. Do I need to tell anybody that? I, I don't. I shouldn't. The reality is there are a bunch of players who are really good that the Steelers didn't draft. There are a bunch of players, 32 teams in the NFL didn't draft. This is how the draft works. I don't know why you guys think that there is the opportunity to just take as many top 50 players as you can. It doesn't work that way. They have the ability to do that. In the end, though, Lance, this is a part of the the sexy tanking edict. More needs than picks. They didn't have the opportunity to address everything. They had to take what they knew. And that was uh, coming off of an evaluation year of very few college games, hidden medical reports, Lack of ability to meet with people face-to-face. They, they didn't have nearly the, the amount of resources available to make the decisions that they made. Good for Creed Humphrey. It's great. You know, I, I thought he was a good player, too. I don't know why they didn't draft him. I just know that they absolutely needed a tight end, and you saw why last night. Barman's going to be a good player. That's solid, okay? Stop beating up on my guy, Wes Neal. This argument is so circular. It's the same thing all the time. They didn't have the ability to draft Humphrey and have the team that they needed to build for the future. What would you rather have, a three-down tight end or a center? I'd rather have a tight end. You're going to be able to find a center. If that's not green, find somebody else. They can sign a veteran starting center next year. They usually come into the market. It's not rare to find a good center. I, if, if that's what they want to do, they absolutely have the ability to do that. Creed Humphrey that, is not going to be the reason the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Okay. Just, I think that, I think that's the, the I think that's the point is that they actually can move on from Green. He is a third round pick. They're yeah, not tied to him. Exactly. To it's be not the starter. something they have to do. Let's Plus, do this. We, we've talked about this a bunch too. He played guard in college more often than anything else. You know what they need next year, Lance? Guard. A starting right guard. Maybe that's a draft pick. Maybe that's a veteran. But they, they've given themselves options along the offensive line that everyone screams about. And everyone thinks magically the answer was the rookie they didn't draft. It, it's nonsense. Let's do this. Let's tee this up, Neil. And maybe um, uh, maybe if he has time, uh, considering you're his jefe, uh, maybe Luke Easterling, uh, who did our draft show earlier this year, uh, maybe he can give us a list of names of guys that we might be excited about um, since we're not going to lock into positions. And I want to give a big shout-out to my guy, Jerry Jones, on Instagram. And uh, we're going to try to spotlight some guys um, and, and try to maybe put some guys in some buckets so when we get to the draft, uh, you know, we'll have that prepared for you guys. Because right now, Just, I mean, although – We need to confirm one thing, though, Lance. The Steelers have draft picks this coming year, okay? Everyone needs to to be aware of that. Taking Najee Harris and that pick and putting it into a vacuum that only exists this year 
is fundamentally stupid. Okay. They are able to sign <laughs> offensive linemen next year. They are able to draft offensive linemen next year. You're going to freak out about players who weren't available for them to draft this year. They need to do both. It's always been two years. We've, we've said that a bunch. They have, they're, they're probably going to be picking my opinion. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. That gives them a draft pick no lower than 18. If they continue to lose, that's going to increase. They can address a quarterback if they want. They can address the offensive line if they want. They can address receiver, which I really think that they need to, and, and wave bye-bye to Claypool. I think they need defensive backs. They don't have a whole lot of those. Although, oh, they, hey, oh, how, they how, need about a few. how about something for Akella Witherspoon last night? Yeah, he, he did, did pretty well. not bad. You have to yeah, like sorry that. for not pointing him out. He got a couple the, of interceptions. The interception that he had, he ran out of gas, like his, his his batteries died in the middle of it. It's because he hasn't played all year. He doesn't have any conditioning. But that that's a player they have control over next year. They can bring him back. He's looked good in the, the time that they've given him. That, James see, Pierre probably see, needs some more work. But they, me, they've got guys. That that see, that's a case of our, our points when we were talking about playing young guys and seeing what you have and guys having reps and so on and so forth where we took different routes, but it met in the middle. Witherspoon was a case. Yeah. And he got yeah. some he, he got some quality snaps and, and, and showed his wares um, in the game. But before we get out of here, Neil, is there anything you want to uh, point to? Because I know, you know, you have you guys on Steelers Wire have a bit of time um, in this little 10-day period. I think it's 10 days before the next Steeler game. Are you guys doing any, anything special that fans <laughs> should take a look at? I'm I'm more worried right now about uh, we we have some staffing issues that we have to address immediately. That in fact, have come up during this show. So I'm I'm off with you and on the phone with with my regional editors to go over that. But um, I would say look at DraftWire. This is the time of the year where DraftWire picks up. And I think as far as the Steelers go, there are a lot of options. Uh, Luke Easterling, another guy that we're going to get on the show again very soon to to discuss options. Uh, players who are available and you know maybe even address the positions that you guys absolutely need to have addressed. They uh, he's going to break that down. Um, he gave him a quarterback. I won't say which one, but check out his mock draft draftwire.com. Um, it, it's, it, it's a valid argument that he makes for that player. I think that it's, it's there, but um, overall I would just say, look, still have a lot of holes, a lot of positions they need to fill. I don't think that they can take in mind that, you know, they're going to be able to draft the, the greatest player who's ever lived uh, in each round. They're, they're going to have to get good, solid football players and continue to build out the depth that they have. This is not a one-year thing. Where they are right now, Lance, that, that's exactly what we've been talking about all season. This is going exactly as we predicted it to be. It just it stings a bit after a, a terrible first half, after a tough, uh, you know, a fun comeback to watch, ended up a little bit short. We get it, but this team is exactly who we thought that they were. Thank you, Denny Green, RIP. And RIP Demarius Thomas. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Tragically yeah. underrated player who did not ever get nearly the credit that he deserved for the Tebow game. Demarius Thomas destroyed that team that night, and it was it had very little to do with Tim Tebow. Thomas took the slant short, outran the Steelers secondary, stiff-armed Ike Taylor, a phenomenal individual play by him. He never got the credit for that. That always bugged me. Demarius Thomas is one of the more underrated players we've seen in this generation and clearly a, a guy who we lost way, way too early. Yeah, I mean, he was good enough at one point. I think he was the highest paid wide receiver in the National Football League, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, he was a uh, you know, he was an incredible football player. And I'm looking at uh, draftwire.com. I will not give the pick. 
that was made by Luke. Uh, but go to draftwire.usa.com, USA Today, excuse me, dot com. Only thing I will tease there is that the Steelers selected 18, which is interesting. Uh, um, break, breaking news, Lance. Yes. I, I have breaking news. Sorry. From Ian Rappaport, Steelers outside linebacker Alex Highsmith left last night's game early, is not believed to have suffered a major injury. Sources said he'll have more tests today, but early indications is that it's a bad contusion above the knee. Contusion is a very fancy word for bruise. bruise. So uh, he did not tear his knee up, which some people had, had speculated at the time that might have happened. So uh, some good rest coming for him, 10 days off to ice up and, and get some flexibility back. Hopefully he is able to go against Tennessee next week. Real quick before we get out of here, um, with this break, do the, are the players allowed to go home? Are they allowed to leave Pittsburgh, or do they typically stay uh, in the city during this, like, mini break that they have? Um, considering they just lost, I don't think Tomlin's going to let them off. But it, for the most part, it, it depends on the team. I think uh, Tomlin will probably give them uh, a day or two, not a whole lot. But uh, take a little bit of time. You have to take advantage of that, especially at the end of the year. It's not a, a punitive thing, but they, they like to frame it like a reward uh, if they win that game. So I would say they probably come in for testing today. Uh, go over film, everything like that. They might have a walkthrough or two, uh, but give them probably Saturday, Sunday, Monday off, or Saturday through Tuesday off, and then back to work normally on Wednesday. And in that time, I'm assuming that the coaches are at work getting the game plan yep. together. Yeah, they'll they'll self-evaluate. They'll look at who they are, where they are, answer a lot of the questions that we discussed in preparation for uh, the offseason. But their job is, make no mistake about this, they, if they're not eliminated from the playoffs, they're pushing for the playoffs. That's what they want. They, they don't tank. Uh, they're not looking to, to increase a draft pick four spots and act as if that's going to fix everything. Their job is to handle the players who are being paid millions of dollars on their roster right now. They, they're not letting go of that for the sake of essentially a, a, an organized lottery in, held in April. I agree with that. I agree with that. We'll we'll see how it all shakes out. Man, after that first half, I thought that that was going to happen after Ben kept getting hit. I was like, wow, the old, man, shots. the old man is going to break. But with that, we're going to go ahead and conclude the program. I want to thank everybody for hopping on, especially in the West Coast. If you hopped on, it is very early this morning. So thank you for that. Thank you for Neil, as always, for your time, energy, and effort. And Wes thanks you, too. He said, for the record, Neil, love your energy, baby. Yes, Love you, Wes. Wes yes, right. yes. And with that, we are <laughs> going to conclude the show. And I wonder if Chase Claypool will ask about what music is played next week at practice. I bet Looking he does. forward to the first person ballsy enough to ask either <laughs> Chase Claypool or Mike Tomlin about the music again. <laughs> what was that line that Tomlin said? Somebody asked him something unrelated, and he, he answered it very short and abrupt and then paused a beat and then said, we're not going to play music either. <laughs> That's just fantastic. He, he's not having that. He and for all, that at all. If we're all my hip hop fans, I, I'm, I'm sure Chase Claypool will not play no Vaseline, but with that, <laughs> we're going to get out of here. And as always tune in, tell a friend and subscribe.